0: I'm John Ryan, and this is Pod Roast. This week, a raspy Demi Moore promises sex and longing with female pleasure at its centre. And teach me a lesson, a celebration of teachers from Greg James and his missus. So, Archwell Audio's now gone 52 days without any new audio. Probably too busy trying for that baby. Just been a bit sick in my mouth. Did you see his feet? Talking of terrible sex... Dirty Diana is a six-part podcast series starring and co-produced by Demi Moore. As an escape from her carefully curated life and dying marriage, Diana secretly runs an erotic website where women reveal their intimate sexual fantasies. Before this one starts, there's an announcement. Please be advised this show contains adult language and explicit scenes, not advised for persons under 17. Dirty Diana is presented by Dipsy, which says... Desire, apparently, is a fire that deserves to be stoked if you're over 17. Love the fact it's 17, not 16 or 18, 17. Now, a confession. I don't do radio drama. I love both, love drama, love radio, but can't get past thinking of them stood at microphones. Maybe with a man standing by with coconuts in case there are any passing horses, or one of those weird half-staircases that goes halfway up the wall, or a door covered in bells and knockers. But I'll try and soldier on for pod Roast. It begins with a conversation between Demi and Liz, a British woman. Demi's voice is the weirdest thing going on here. It's raspy, hoarse, like Yoda in a frock. They're in a counselling room and talking about a borderline ridiculous fantasy. What's your fantasy? asks Yoda, that uh, Demi. Uh, she's on a train, says this woman, and sees a hotter, younger version of her husband. He smiles at me, and I know exactly what he wants from me. Tickets, please! No, it's not the tickets. He takes you to a bar and pours you a scotch. It burns down your throat. He tells you animated stories full of optimism and hope. Uh, The sound design is weird here. There's a menacing synth almost throughout. Uh, The occasional ambient effect from Demi's office, the door opening, for example. The whoosh of the train. Within four minutes, we've played footsie in the bar and you feel a jolt of cliche, sorry, electricity and you freeze because you're married. They go to a private car. Handy. You hear the sound effect of the door opening and closing and the dealing of playing cards as this mysterious stranger suggests you play strip poker with him. So far, this has all the allure of a reader's letter in Razzle magazine, Circle 1983. He loses his hand at strip poker, what a surprise, takes off his shirt, and Liz admits that's how she knows she wants to lose the game. And she does, until she's completely naked. Then he gets slightly hardcore, at least hardcore action but softcore words. He doesn't smell of the act but of her husband's college aftershave. He describes any intimate areas as my body. He does things to me that I never let my husband do, she says. Like what? Rasps to me. Well, I won't say, but that thing you're imagining, yes, especially if you watch too much actual porn, yes, that is what he wants to do. An alarm goes off, and that's the transition to another scene. Thank goodness, given that the euphemisms to describe what was going on in Liz's fantasy were so ramped up, I was genuinely confused. We're into me's bed now, or should that be the eponymous Dirty Diana? She's waking up and taking migraine medication, and her husband Oliver has what she calls sick breath. Nice. He tries to initiate sex, or needs to really be close to you. They row over his breath. And we cut to... Diana is with her shrink. She croaks to her doctor she needs more Xanax to deal with her intrusive thoughts. Oliver feels more like a roommate than a husband, but she doesn't miss the intimacy with him. It zips along. We're at another scene now. Someone's parked in Diana's spot at work. I'm not making this up. This is genuinely how exciting it is. She growls at someone called Megan to send an office memo about the blue Honda. Yep, like I said, it makes doctors seem like Game of Thrones. There's a bit of office politics, more terrible scripting, and further thin sound design, until Diana ends up in a conference room. Her dick boss invites her to lunch to meet a new client, Petra, who's been left a fortune by her father. They need to secure her as a client, and they want Diana as a woman to help lure her in. So far, so rejected Columbo script from 1974 – I'm really confused now. Is Diana some kind of sex therapist as in scene one or some kind of accountancy person in scene four? And please clear your throat. Petra goes into full plot dispenser mode. Her mum left her dad with her trainer a year ago and her brother hung himself. It's hanged, but hey, I'm 12 minutes in and by now I know how he was feeling. So she was the third choice for beneficiary. She's going to give it all away to animal shelters Her Reiki healer And a documentary maker She takes her leave of Diana and her boss You can hear the clip 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 of her heels On the restaurant floor Like she's stamping every footstep That actually made me laugh out loud Diana's sent after her Petra asks if she smells of death It was a steak restaurant you see And she's vegetarian She literally asked Demi slash Diana To sniff her dress I think we can guess where this is going. Another swift scene change, and the two are drinking kombuka. It's introduced so inelegantly, it may well be a sponsor mention, I don't know. Petra says she didn't have friends like Diana when she was growing up. She's impetuous, indulgent, and romantic. She says if you want to do something out of the norm, find a way to be in the norm and still do it, then uses a bizarre metaphor to explain it. A paedophile who investigates sex crimes. Weird. What's your loophole, says Petra, suggesting that Diana is too interesting not to have one, based on very little evidence, to be frank. They talk about Petra's investment, it's as dull as it sounds. Diana goes back to the office, but there's a Liam there to see her. She rasps, it's her car washer, but clearly they have some other history. We're not doing a drug deal, it's totally legal to record women's fantasies and put them out on a website, he says. All right, so that finally explains scene one. He says he's paid her some cash and pleads for more recordings. It's an opportune moment for Shana Fest to pop up over a Plinky Plonk piano. She's the creator and director of this nonsense. She does the plug for Dipsy, an app that depicts sex as a healthy part of life. Then there's an ad for Shampoo. There's a nine second gap, And we're back to the drama, if you can call it drama. A group of women are tunelessly singing cool in the gang in a restaurant without any backing for presumably music rights reasons. Eric is their server and the women are Lauren, Diana and Cassie. They're drunk, giggly and on a night out, gossiping about a friend who leaves her knickers in a bar for a barman every Friday. Diana gets all pompous about Knicker Lady, about how they shouldn't slut shame, basically, and it leads into a conversation about how Diana and Oliver haven't bumped uglies for a year and what they might do to light the spark. Their chat's interrupted by a call from Oliver. It's a McGuffin. Sorry, an accidental phone call where he's clearly with a stripper, not playing poker, as he said when she gets home they row about it how he's in love with the stripper who's called Amanda randomly and how Diana doesn't fancy him anymore next scene Liz is back she's the woman in scene one keep up she says she's told her husband the train story and they had sex she's back to record the story with Diana she says she wants Diana to touch her Diana declines but says she'll watch now I don't quite know what happens next It sounds like Liz spots a lovely jar of marmalade. You can hear her moan with hunger at the prospect of opening it. But the lid must be on too tight. You hear her crying out, breathy, as she tries to get it off. Disturbing electronica in the background builds up to a crescendo. She cries out, presumably after prizing off the lid, clearly out of breath after all that exertion. Then there's a very meta bit of Diana slash Demi who says, thanks for listening to Liz, as she would in her fictional website, haveagoodwood.com. It's an actual website that I suspect was set up for the original publication. I mean, no one would ever use such a ridiculous URL, except perhaps a Sussex racecourse. It now takes you to a Squarespace holding page. You know, in a random moment once, I wondered why there wasn't a proven market for audio porn. Thanks, Demi, for perfectly exemplifying. Bella Mackey is a writer and columnist who's graced Vogue, Vice and The Guardian. She turned her attention to podcasting in a Vogue article recently, talking about brevity, the need for editing, and how crafting a good podcast may sound seemingly effortless, but is a lot of work. She describes herself as addicted to audio, and on a lockdown walk with her husband, decided to start their own podcast. Thing is, not everyone's married to Radio 1's breakfast presenter. Teach Me A Lesson is a slightly contrived format, where listeners nominate great teachers to step up and teach Bella and Greg James, for it is he. They start with a promise from Greg that by the end of this podcast, we're going to answer the question, Q Bella, are people born evil? before a slightly apologetic, jangly theme tune cuts in. Now, get used to that. You're going to hear a lot of it. To be fair, the lodging elephant is called out early on. Hello, this is Greg James, and that... Bella Mackie. she chuckles over, like a 90s traffic girl on Small Town FM, is my wife, he continues. She honks in a fake-laughing-for-a-podcast kind of way... This is the first time we've ever done any work together, says Greg, and today we'll find out whether there was a good reason, says Bella. There's a bit of B grade bants between the two as they explain the concept, and here's the first strange decision. The maiden subject on this episode is psychology, and the rabbit hole they go down is that evil question asked at the start Are you born evil? Now, given the Go-Go's Avril Lavigne-style signature tune, Greg's profile, would it not have been better to start the series with something a bit broader, more accessible, a good maths or English idea, maybe? Anyway, Bella makes a valiant effort to hold her own, and Greg, being one of the most amiable men in radio, gives her space. So it's hard to know why this just sounds a bit flat, especially given these aren't two people plonked in a studio and told, be natural and warm, they are actually married. The theme tune comes in again, and the surnameless Becky, Hi! pops up to introduce the Teacher of the Week, Miss Gammock. A slightly too sharply edited Becky comes and goes, and finally we meet the teacher at 3 minutes 51. Now, being a podcast for 5 Live, we can't just jump into a chat with somebody interesting. We need a sub Radio 1 sequence where Greg asks Miss Gammock about her first concert, how she tried to get off with Louis Capaldi, her 100,000 TikTok followers, and how she helped a student with revision at a One Direction concert. Greg is very much the lead here, and despite Miss Gammock's willing participation, every story is slightly piss That, and the virtual invisibility of Bella in this sequence, belies the old the-guys-in-charge-round-here trope. At 6.23 we're into the lesson, no sooner does Miss Gammock set out her stall, that we go into a sequence where Greg and Bella discuss which of them is the most evil. That has the danger of getting too incestuous, too exclusive of us as listeners, before the teacher jumps back and rescues it with a How Evil Are You style quiz. But again, our hosts rest back control and talk about each other again for too long. Again, it feels way too much about them. The good thing about this bit is Bella develops a bit of personality. Twelve minutes in, she emerges from his shadow a bit. A journalistic mouse comes out. I warm to her. If you've heard a few pod roasts, you'll know I'm always banging on about them needing to steal some radio tricks. Tease us what's coming later. Use theme music to brand and image your show. Now, given its heritage, it may not be a surprise to say this podcast almost does it too much. Even Miss gamut keeps throwing ahead to what she's going to be talking about, and the theme tune is too earwormy to reintroduce at every subject change, or when there's heavy lifting to do in an edit. Now, there is a clever idea at the end. They actually get Louis Theroux to do a cameo because he's a hero of Miss Gammock. Mainly, Bella says, podcasting's a medium which gives space to anyone with a good idea and a microphone and is a wonderful thing. She's right, of course. A good idea with a microphone that becomes an excuse to talk about your partner, doughy-eyed, all the time. Less so. (laughs) I'm John Ryan, weary-eared and disappointed for Pod Roast. This week with Dirty Diana from Q Code Media and Teach Me a Lesson from BBC Sounds. I listen to these so you don't have to. Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo.